Welcome back, new you maniacs, to the spinner rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, the voice of the new universe. We are your hosts, Stephen with Justice number 18, and Andy with DP7 number 18, both the pit tie ins. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, of course, we're talking about the new universe, uh, which was launched in 1986 as an imprint for Marvel Comics dedicated to, at least at the time, a more grounded and less fantastic approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real time progress and more realistic technology, physics and biology. Uh, after the first year, some books were canceled, although we're seeing their characters in other places like Jenny Swenson in The Pit. And remaining books have now been transitioned to new status quos with consistent creative teams. Um, and then Pittsburgh blew up. So there's what? two. <laughs> that son of a what? Unbelievable. It happens every once in a while. Say, say goodbye to the slag pit or the slag heap. Sorry. Those things were supposed to last forever. I can't believe it. Supposed to. Uh, but yeah, so with our podcast, of course, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. Uh, we have a season three trivia challenge on our website, kickersinc.com. Answer some questions, maybe get some right, win some free comic books. And we are on Twitter at, at kickersinc. Um, I'm not going to call it X anymore, though I just did. Hmm. I don't know what to call it anymore. Beginning to wonder. I don't want to, you know. By the time this about publishes, it, but... it'll be called something else, probably. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, it, it still seems like the best uh, social media for this purpose of kind of broadcasting our um, upcoming episode. Um, what issues we'll be talking about and giving people a little visual thing. I don't know if you, anyone has any, you know, suggestions, let us know in the comments. This will be the last episode with our original schedule of titles. Both books came out on the same day, but um, from now on, we'll be taking up all the remaining new universe titles one at a time from here on out. Um, so, uh, even though they, they're not going to change the schedule for a while yet, I believe DP seven and justice will still be out on the same day, but we are going to go just issue by issue with each episode from here on out. And because there's even more changes coming up. So I, I probably should have prefaced that with big announcement, but anyway. <laughs> it's not that big of an announcement, I guess. Um, okay. It's a very small announcement here. <laughs> this week, I'll be covering Justice. Who is Tenson? He wields the sword and shield of justice as he brings his black and white fight against evil to our morally gray world. Or does he? Justice Numbers 18, a major American city has been blasted into oblivion. Was the catastrophe caused by a paranormal? And if it was, are there other paranormals ready to unleash even more destruction? That's what Justice seeks to discover. Wait till you see the answers he uncovers. Written by Peter David, penciled by Lee Weeks, and inked by Tony DeZuniga. I'm excited. Uh, 
And so, yeah, this week I'll be covering DP7. Uh, in the wake of the white event, seven random people with paranormal powers found themselves seeking help at the clinic. Now the clinic is theirs, but now in the wake of the pit, can they use their powers to help one another? Um, so for this issue, number 18, the solicit was, what has happened to Blur's family? As in Jeff Walters. Uh, in a suspense-filled tie-in to the pit, Blur dashes across America to discover if his family survived the annihilation. Afraid of the consequences for Blur, if his worst fears are realized, the DP7 secretly follows. But their journeys will not be easy, because all roads leading to the city are bad roads. <laughs> bad roads. <laughs> uh, written by Mark Grunewald, penciled by Paul Ryan, and inked by Danny Bulanadi. I thought that was just kind of like a funny name for the issue. It's just bad roads. There's potholes and stuff <laughs> traffic oh <laughs> uh, yeah you have some pittsburgh it's true <laughs> and of course since we're crossing over with the pit uh we'll talk a little bit about that and hey i think there's even a dp7 letters page in there so oh yeah if this will be our final multi-comic issue we'll make sure it goes four hours long Strap yourselves in, new believers. You're <laughs> ready to don't touch that pause button <laughs> and slow it down below 1.5 times faster. Don't be speeding up just because you know. Uh, <laughs> Steven grabbed the mic. Here we go. <laughs> What's the uh, listening to things version of what they did in Clockwork Orange? <laughs> Put funnels in your ears or something. Yep. Strap yourselves down. Prop those eyes open and listen to some music as you enjoy this week's Justice number 18. It was uh, cover dated April 1988. It came out, we believe, on January 5th, 1988. And uh, to recap a bit, um, it's not really that necessary. We had... Uh, Justice, uh, what was he doing? Last well, he's week? basically just, you know, touring around, showing up and wiping out paranormals who are using their powers for evil, right? So our last couple of issues have kind of established that. Also that he has a daughter out there somewhere. Very good, yes. So we've got, uh, since uh, Peter David and Lee Weeks took over a few issues ago, we've got consistent stories, consistent art. Um, good times this issue we've got um a uh the cover the upper right corner as does the other um uh, dp7 this week both have the pit tie-in as part of their upper logo there's still the new universe uh logo in the middle with the blue and um the picture is of Someone, probably uh, Justice. Maybe Shazam. Shazam. <laughs> uh, standing at the the edge of the crater of the pit, and it says, uh, "On the brink of the future." Uh, open the book, and we've got uh, no splash page. And I'll tell you, that's not coming up for quite a while say uh we've got a uh sort of a park um 
and some families and kids walking around in a it looks pretty nice temperature, um, uh, you know, little playground park area. Um, let me again remind you that the pit occurred on December 22nd, and it's pretty cold this time of year there. But you can um, still have an unseasonably warm day, I suppose. Possible, sure. Okay. Um, and the there's a blanket with some kids and a mother reading from the wizard of oz and she's reading the part about where the tornado picks up dorothy and uh whirls her house around i guess this is probably like the most unrealistic part in the whole comic right like a baby and two young kids sitting there listening to mom read a book in the middle of a park they'd be running all over the place they're like i'm bored i want to go swing (laughs) That book's like a hundred years old. What do you do? Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they seem riveted to the tale of uh, Dorothy. Um, but uh, that is a mention of a baby in a cradle, which seems very on point as the youngest kid is a, a baby in a car seat, I'm going to say, or at least that's what it looks like to us now. Um, something grabs his attention and he starts crying and the mother's like, PJ, did something scare you, hun? Um, we have, uh, just sort of a shadow from, uh, we can imagine justice. There's a young couple of teenagers maybe making out and, uh, they, they stop for a second and tell, uh, you know, unidentified person to, to take off. And then a a large dog that is um, being chased by its owner is running around and barking, comes up and confronts Justice. And now we finally see Justice himself, except he's in shadow and looking very intimidating. The dog uh, just gets scared and runs off. Yip, 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 yip. And the owner yells at Justice that uh, you scared him out of a year's growth. Seven in people years. So we've got, uh, you know, justice has come to town, and as we've uh, been getting used to, that means someone's going to die. Well, or at least someone's going to be confronted with the sins of the past, probably. <laughs> we get some uh, some more kids, uh, five to ten year olds, uh, playing hopscotch, and one little girl asks him if he wants to play. And there's a sudden flash of memory of who we saw before his uh, Tenson's own daughter, Angie, asking him to come play. And I guess he he probably gives this girl the same answer he gave his daughter before. I'm afraid I can't. I have to go to work. Hmm. Getting some Mark Hazard flashbacks in this one. Yeah, yeah. It's a guy intimidates people. Doesn't got time for his kids. I think the, um, you know, we're seeing more um, parallels now that Peter David has moved from one title to the other. And so we're getting a uh, spirit of Merc inhabiting justice at times, but um, it's uh, generally amusing. So I let it pass. So I'm okay Um, with it. We have uh, a guy sitting on a park bench looking very dejected and Justice comes up to him and starts saying, 
Glenn Baker, you have misused your power. You can see the future up to 48 hours in advance, but have not used this gift to avert accidents, save lives. Your only thought has been for personal gain. Your actions do not warrant death, but there must be justice exacted. Glenn Baker does not seem to care. He does not, no. You think I care? Well, don't just stand there looking ominous. Grab some bench next to the breathing dead man. Justice is confused. I told you, you will not die. Uh, apparently, what dying is what you used to do your hair, which was uh, up till two days ago, was black. And uh, Baker says that he didn't change his hair. Something I saw with my power made me like this. And he uh, continues while Justice grabs a seat and lets him monologue for a bit. You, you remember Cassandra from um, oh, the Trojan War, um, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey? Uh, she predicted Troy would uh, be in flames and no one believed her. She had the last laugh, didn't she? And uh, he talks a little about um, how he couldn't really help people because they'd just ignore him or have him locked up for bothering them. And But he does say that uh, he recognizes that you're the justice killer, aren't you? I flashed on your coming for me yesterday when I looked in the mirror. And Justice asks, is that what turned your hair white? Uh, he says, that is small potatoes. Last night I saw the writing on the wall and the words read, the end. Last night I dreamed of Armageddon, sir, and awoke no knowing no one would believe me. World War Three. I could try to run, or I, but I'm no survivalist. I don't want to hang around and have the last laugh. Justice says, well, if you've truly seen uh, something you don't want to see, then I can make sure you're not here for it, if you wish. And Glenn Baker says, I don't think you'll have the time. And you turn the page, and Whoops. You know, time is up. Yes. <laughs> There is a big glow on the horizon, and there's some narrative from Justice. And he is um, sort of philosophizing about how he has seen injustice upset the scales and always regain the balance. But now I witness a soundless obscenity, a crime so vast and sudden and absolute that I realize in horror there are not enough counterweights in the world to offset it. And there is... The only time we've seen in these um, pit tie-ins where it looks like the white event again, because um, oh right, yeah, to give it a real like white flash. Yeah, in like the pit, and I want to say, no, that's really the only one where we've seen it live. It was just like a glow on the horizon or something, but you didn't have like that wave of whiteness that passed over people during the white event but, but now really we do. it should be right like because it is really the second white event like it's the same circumstances that caused the first one caused this one that's the yeah that's a, like a it's a bit of a puzzle for me but whether this is uh something that the others just didn't notice but uh, it looks pretty strong here everything just you know whited out and high contrast and baker is like uh, don't make me watch again. Then there's a huge boom. 
And then the kids are on the ground screaming what's happening. And suddenly the wind picks up. And now it's like they're in the middle of a cyclone. Not the eye of the storm. The storm. And everything is just flying. So the yeah. kids are... And best we figured from the pit, right, was that it kind of like erased that sphere of Pittsburgh. So then everything would kind of rush in to fill the gap. So that that's where the wind is coming from. Yeah, it exchanged a sphere of um, dirt and air even for just vacuum. And so everything within a couple miles of that got sort of sucked in um, or blown in as, with the very strong winds as the that it readjusted. Um, makes sense, although it's part of this the puzzle of the pit is that there's a lot of these sort of oddities about it so that people don't think immediately that it's a nuclear blast but they don't quite know what it is either and um i would say honestly from from like just reading it without you know getting ahead of myself it always seemed like there was some like laying some clues for some like you know you know further mystery that would be uh, revealed but right Certainly, yeah, not and it's interesting because the Glenn Baker who foresaw it, like, you know, he can see 48 hours into the future. Like, did he kind of mistake the pit happening from with, and did he kind of think that was like the destruction of the entire earth, right? Or total Armageddon? And that's why he kind of gave up instead of running away. Yeah, that was my how, how I read it, that he is uh, just sort of by accident, just too close to the pit. And so when he sees all this stuff go up, he just thinks, you know, not ha just he's getting a vision of something happening. And to him, this looks like nuclear war, the world, you know, being incinerated. And he's like, I don't want I don't want to stick around after that. So. Um, but yeah, from what. We've seen in other spots this the pit is something different, and so he's basically just the, the guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. So to not be fried, but to be um, close enough to see this, but not uh, in, you know killed by it. So yeah, anyway. and yet he, he still has quite an interesting ending. He does. But before we get to that, we've got a uh, one of the most surprising things I've seen in Justice to date. Perhaps the whole new universe. Oh. I I like, okay, so you got um everyone's uh like what the hell happened? And then the wind starts up, and then the people are grabbing trees or whatever they can to kind of hold on to the uh, hold on. And then we get a couple of panels where I see her screaming, but I do not hear. And then uh, as eyes as dirt fills my eyes, I squint, but I do not see. And this is the little girl who was playing Scott hopscotch before. She is flying through the air and Justice is flailing out. I grab her. Next panel. So he's got like a hold of her jacket. And then the next panel, the jacket is ripped and she is gone. Yeah. I do not keep her. I ouch. <laughs> uh killing a little girl on panel is uh, unusual <laughs> even. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
So he hears more screaming. Um, he recognizes it's Baker, and the wind is whipping him around. But Baker is on a like the uh, swing set. He's maybe uh, tangled up in the chains that are holding the swings, and he uh, he Justice can just see him from a distance, and uh, he sort of prays, "Please, on behalf of that poor tortured soul, let it be quick." And yeah, the guy is whipped around and we see the chain snap, presumably around his neck. So do you, do you see that one as if he wrapped himself in the chains? Uh it, kind of ambiguous because he's like his hands are up there and it could be either he's fighting it or he's wrapping them. Um, but given his sort of state of mind, he had just you know said let it let it end a page before uh that would make sense too yeah yeah that's that's kind of how i took it the first time at least it's like oof <laughs> wrap yourself in the swing set chains and then the wind i think it's in happening so fast that you know it could try to do it himself um he's like, like surprisingly like clear-headed and quick response but so uh where are we justice is uh field and flying baby (laughs) he's about to kill a baby no he's got a coke bottle and a nice product placement going by him and he's uh saying that he is extending his shields as never before surrounding himself so now justice is in kind of a bubble of his uh, own shield energy and he sees the baby in the car seat flying towards him and he quotes uh, the Bible Mark 10 14 suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God by the way I didn't point out that like um, a couple of issues ago it was like a quote from the Old Testament and uh We've been uh, had a couple more from the New Testament. So Peter David does uh, know the whole Bible, I'm glad to say, or at <laughs> least is familiar with it. Um, so he's uh, just as says to himself, well, I forbid it. And he grabs the kid and the um, two of them are now being sucked up into the maelstrom, as he says. He reestablishes his shields and tries to um, just sort of cover the infant with his own body and then cover the two of them with these uh, bubble of shield. And in fact, then the baby is getting cold and he takes his jacket off and wraps the baby in it. And there's a quote from Ebenezer Elliot, which I don't recognize, I'm afraid. Oh, I'm on that. Oh, you got it. Oh, good. <laughs> God save the people, Ebenezer Elliot wrote. <laughs> that is, uh, uh, he was like a factory guy and nicknamed the Cornwall Rhymer, according to Wikipedia, because he would write like limericks about like protesting a, a corn related law <laughs> way back when. Um, but yeah, I, I got some poem excerpt for you. Go for it. All right. When wilt thou save the people? O God of mercy, when? Not kings and lords, but nations. 
not thrones and crowns, but men. Flowers of thy heart, O God, are they. Let them not pass like weeds away. Their heritage, a sunless day. God save the people. Shall wow. crime bring forever? <laughs> or shall crime bring crime forever? Shall aiding, uh, strength aiding still the strong? Yada, yada, yada. It's actually pretty long. So. But the last line I thought was particularly just to see, though, and I bungled it, but it was, you know, shall crime bring crime forever? Strength aiding still the strong. You know, justice is kind of antithesis of that. But nice. I was feeling it when I was reading it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure out what this poem is. Good, good. Thank you to the research department. It's <laughs> a, a, a nice uh, extra there. Um, so unwilling to correct the Bible, I am willing to learn about corn-themed <laughs> poets. You know, to be honest, this is all like... Um, I, I can't even tell if these are things that you would know more of in the 80s. Like... No, I think it's got to be just, just like Bartlett's quotations or something. Um, I don't know. These, the writers in the 80s seem to be a lot more literary than what we have now, which is like kind of dudes that are fans that have some writing ability. So we get all these fun flowery things back then that we don't see anymore. That's very true. Well, Justice continues uh, thinking as he's holding on to the baby and they're whole world is spinning around well either god is causing this or he is dead or else he has better things to do today than save the people and he's uh, um justice for a guy who sort of is at the uh sort of the angry hand of god sometimes is kind of arguing with him uh as he's um, being tossed about and trying to save this kid and at some point he tires out and he starts thinking he's going to uh he's quite a altitude up there he's going to come down hard but uh he gets his shields back at the last second and is sort of a reprieve from the sort of mental conversation with god and then he pops right through a, a nice billboard of the P pittsburgh pirates just wait till next year the most apropos thing I could imagine. <laughs> hey, well, uh, hey, if they were out in an away game, I guess they're all right. Uh, well, it's it's winter, so they're off season. Oh, right. Well, but I was going to point there, out right? before that the um, in the real world, the Steelers were supposed to be in New Orleans, like the 23rd. So oh, okay. I think they were out of town. So they were going to be like, they should have been like the, uh, yeah. Mm. 87 America's pirates. Team. the pirates in 1987 would be like the barry bonds era right like does he live in pittsburgh or does he live in california or something it's a good question is, i always is think new universe barry alive <laughs> i'm may may provide us with an answer or maybe, <laughs> maybe. Not. probably not <laughs> probably not justice lands hard and is like as they describe later, is just uh, at the end of a long trench of the, in the um, grass or something. And as he says to himself, Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, and passes out, he goes to black, and we have a, a interesting vision hmm. of a uh, 
It's Chippendale's not, dancer? It's it's not his lord and savior, I can tell you that. It is the uh, beefcake pose of one Ken Connell, although he's, uh, without his um, barbells that he was using in the last moments there. That image goes to white and Justice wakes up with a scream. Ah! Falls out of bed. And uh, he sees a throw rug on the floor and uh, hits it with the sword. And then scratches something into the ash. He says to himself, usually you wake up from a dream and the memory of it flits away. Not this time. I won't let it. Even in my weakened, confused state, I sense its importance. He doesn't recognize where he is or what's going on. That his uh, shields did manage to save him. Um, he is feeling very sore. Everything hurts. And he's uh, appears in, to be a, in a random sort of uh, bedroom, person's bedroom. But he's uh, got his um, you know, senses up. Always like worried about what's coming around the corner so can we quibble physics for a second like totally unnecessarily where he's like my shields created enough drag slowed down my descent but his shield was a spear Spear. around him which would have the least amount of drag sort of maximized his uh (laughs) yeah speed i think on impact yeah that's a good point time to write a letter (laughs) he just needed like the half shield hemisphere sort of behind him right yeah, but then he would have been face first in the dirt. So okay, we so get a little bit of comic bookiness of not him not splattering because of shields for some reason. But yeah, there's a. I they mean, probably shouldn't have sent him up to like airplane view height. <laughs> it's true. It's I don't know tornadoes and things are always one of these like you know people tell you oh uh, you know it's uh, there's like a. a piece of straw that went through a piece of wood you know is driven by this wind but like a foot away you know nothing happens right the whole house survives and everything else is wrecked it's strange wind patterns yeah so uh, we'll just uh, take it as a given that justice survives and uh, he comes out to go fry an old couple (laughs) will he get in here as he calls her a middle-aged woman, but she is older looking than Lenore in DP7. So true. The two the couple are let's say late middle aged to be nice about it. She says, uh, so um this old woman is holding the baby that uh, Justice had saved, and she yells for her husband Willie, who comes in. What? Was a... Oh, Whitey's awake. And uh, Whitey Willie refers to him as Whitey <laughs> through the whole issue, which I kind of enjoy. I like that too. You start as Justice, which sounds really cool, and then your space, you know, different dimension name is Tenson. And then for a brief moment, you become Trace, the we'll best name perhaps. Then John Tenson, and now Whitey. Whitey. Yeah. Whitey brings like... the sword and shield of justice. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Sounds like something uh, when he goes after the black powers, they'll be like, look out, Whitey's back. Oh. Okay. He uh, sort of, um, he looks threatening at first. And so he kind of steadies himself so that he doesn't threaten this old couple for no reason. 
checks their auras and sees that, yeah, they are not paranormals and not dangerous and they have no idea what's going on. And the baby looks good, so he uh, apologizes, says, uh, I'm Tencent. Ten cents? Are you on sale? Call me John. That's a real ham. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Johnny Dime. That should have been his his original name. Johnny Tencent is his, like, street name. And then, okay, Andy. That's terrible, and you should be ashamed for saying that. Damn it. That was the best idea. That was my greatest contribution to the new universe and it's just shot down anyway i'm willie and this is my wife edna edna whip us up some herb tea and uh get in the kitchen and make some damn tea edna whitey's thirsty he says it pretty nicely so uh the old man tells him here is our retirement spread about 30 miles east of pitts well 30 miles east of something so there, he's about five miles out of the zone um, of whatever. And he says, the, Willie says that you were landed in a field back of our house. You were at the end of a 60-foot trench practically in our backyard with a quiet little baby in your arms. If you'd been in a rocket ship, we'd think you were from Krypton. You're lucky to be alive, Whitey. Says he has called the cops, but no one has come because it is such a big disaster. And Justice says, disaster? Well, what happened? So then we do the Andy's favorite check-in with the TV. TV time, <laughs> channel six. We get some news from an uh, uh, unidentified caster about um, the fate of Pittsburgh is still um, unknown. Or if, re- authorities refuse to confirm or deny anything. Martial law reigns in the area. It is believed a two-man newscopter was actually shot down by the military, which is, yes, as we saw in the pit last yeah. week. Bloodthirsty Mac Browning. Jeez, Whitey, it's like Russia or something, says old Willie. Not really getting up to speed too quickly. Hmm. It, the newscast continues that the entire Pittsburgh area is still obscured by clouds of steam. And no one knows what happened except for the wind of 300 mile an hour wind that followed the calamity, devastated the five miles around the mystery. And um, thousands were killed, stuff was leveled, and the fate of Pittsburgh is still unknown. Willie and Edna tell Justice that their daughter and her family are all living in Pittsburgh still. And they, they're worried about them. Um, they've heard that maybe terrorists are claiming that they did something, but Tencent already knows that a bo- uh, it is not a bomb. It says, far more dangerous. I'd better investigate. What makes you think they'll let you through, Whitey? I'll charm them with my wit. It's got... Uh, let's see. So he says... Uh, so Edna starts to say something. He's like, yeah, you want me to check on your family? Certainly. Please take care of the uh, child I've saved. We're orphans of the storm, he and I. And there's a kind of a strange thing where instead of like uh, saying goodbye to the baby, he is saying he's got his fingers on the old lady. <laughs> um, feels like they like, I, I don't know, like they added a hand afterwards or something. 
and it ended yeah. up even being more confusing that way. It's an odd little like you know looking down, touching her chin kind of pose. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe he's meant to be consoling her, like you know, don't worry, I'll I'll look into it, and you know, we'll find out your your daughter. So he uh, he gets a, a piece of paper from her that uh, with her name and address, and um, more jokes. And then she notices that there was a uh, burn spot on the rug, and uh, he he takes the paper and copies down the sign that he had um, glimpsed in his vision, which we didn't really see. Um, he was like, "So I I didn't want to. I woke up and I didn't want to lose that vision, so I traced it in the convenient pile of ash on the floor." John, was there a throw rug in here when you woke up? Was would be appropriate. Yes. So uh, what is he sketched on the on the paper? I think it's meant to be the star brand. Yeah. Although it also looks like the uh, school logo from the TV show Community. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to get into that. It's, a, it's somewhat star brand like. Yeah, we've got the circle and the uh, two crossing lines. Um, well, four crossing lines. Um, so it's on his mind. Just as heads out, he says he has borrowed their car. He waits in lines. Um, he finds himself at the playground, perhaps the one he was at before. And he has another vision of his own daughter and, uh, asking him to play. And so he goes a little hopscotch on the, um, pattern that's still there. So he does that and he's more philosophizing himself you think every there's time to do everything and the future seems far off and indistinct and then the future's here with blinding clarity and then it's all gone and all you have left are ashes and a deep feeling of nothingness and he fries the pattern with his sword Oof. is justice telling us to go play with our kids i guess so look i, I gotta go andy i'm sorry <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> okay, I gotta I'll finish up this podcast and that's it. Okay. <laughs> that is it. Gotta go play. Anyone want to uh, become one half of a new universe podcast? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he just... died on his way to his home planet in a hopscotch related <laughs> injury. <laughs> oh, justice is uh um uh, driving until he gets uh about until like there's a army checkpoint and they tell him to turn around and uh he claims that he is john tenson justice department let me through they just tell him to turn it around anyway um he decks the two soldiers who were talking to him and a at least half dozen others that were um, right there start shooting at him he deflects the bullets easily with his shield until someone in a suit and tie comes up behind them and tells them to back off um, he's like uh, I'll, it'll take more than the, what these gents have to stop you wouldn't it Mr. Tenson you know who I am you just told them who you are he did yes <laughs> Mr. Secret Tenson okay he says, he continues, I'm with the National Security Council, Tencent. 
If the NSC doesn't know it, it doesn't exist. Name's Terrence Updike. Here's my card. And uh, Tenson just walks off. He uh, says that he's uh, slices through the debris with uh, his sword arm and finally finds there's a street, steep drop off. So here he is at the lip of the crater as on the cover. And he says the shields will give me the altitude I need. So he continues walking, but he's putting his feet one after the other onto shields. And he is walking both forward and up. So he's basically climbing stairs indefinitely here. And he's getting into the clouds. After half an hour, his legs are exhausted. Then I look down, and I realize with horror that the address Edna and Willie gave me is moot. And we finally have our splash page, pages 19 and 20. And it is a double-page spread with Tenson standing on his shields, looking down and seeing the entire... Um, 25 mile no 50 mile crater yeah of the pit so he is up there with the birds and the title of the story orphans of the storm and the credits peter david and lee weeks if i didn't mention it before so it's a nice uh stunning image and we cut from there right back to justice reporting back to edna and willie where he tells them he's sorry they're gone. And then he asks about the baby who's still there. And they said that uh, the authorities asked them if they would be willing to foster the child since everything is, you know, crazy. And uh, they don't know how long it'll take to track down the uh, relatives. And then, in fact, if they were he was born near here, the, like his uh, records may also be destroyed. So Tencent asked them to do as they ask and, if possible, pro eventually adopt him. And, uh, and then Willie are like, uh, we're no spring chickens, you know, to raise a baby on our own. But uh, probably, you know, someone else will want to take adopt him. And Justice has noticed that the baby is now deaf from the uh, sound of the storm <laughs> and that he'll need special care. And uh, perhaps those who have lost something will have, will give them the best uh, care. No, notably the guy says plenty of people will want a healthy white child. <laughs> right. Whitey look, okay. We're all white. I get it. <laughs> Can we just, okay, man. Willie's a, uh, uh, a realist in many ways but anyway um the uh like justice continues there's a great void where a city once was a void that cries out to be filled with justice whitey why not just stay here for a while it's just until things get settled down the future is uncertain the future is better that way and i can't stay why not because I have to go to work. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and roll credits. Next, hero worship. Mm. Not sure where that's going, but yeah, the Could it Terminator, be my uh, dream predicted scenario where uh, Justice is trying to find and kill Ken Connell? <laughs> I think that's, that is basically what 
we're we're looking at at this um if i mean yeah the the witness may be like trying to find connell but justice is not an intangible phantom ghost that's just going to be like <laughs> hey one on person you. saw the witness once ah <laughs> <sighs> mm. so yeah we've pitted uh We've set justice against Connell and saved a baby, though not a toddler. And uh, we've seen what's the pit is there. So there we go. Yeah. Thought, thoughts? <laughs> I think this was a better pit story than the pit was, to oh, be fair. Right? It was just much better. I mean, we already had Ken Connell causing the destruction in Starbrand, right? So we kind of resaw that in the pit, and then you know all the all that stuff that happened was kind of dull compared to this. Where I remember remarking in uh, the pit that you know, like they don't really make us care about any of the characters, but at least here, like we met a couple of people in the park, the little girl, you know, the baby. <laughs> The other paranormal, the Glenn Baker or whatever, you know, so we actually see some pe some people die instead of kind of just imagining that everybody's dead or those weird ghosts that were haunting the witness kind of thing. So, yeah, it like yeah. hit the emotional beats better. It showed Much destruction better. like this is this is the one to read, I guess. Yeah, I think it it doesn't have all the sort of technical details and it doesn't have very many people involved honestly cast of uh, characters is pretty small um but yeah it is a strong story and it really gives kind of what you would want to a disaster you've got an eyewitness you've got yeah someone seeing all this stuff flying around and in the sort of center of it middle of it all um you see you know, just ordinary people just right outside of this being worried for their family that are inside. And you see just like the sort of weight of the realization of this, the scale of the disaster kind of right. coming down. And you got Bible of... quotes, poetry, and the Wizard of Oz, right? So we got some good literary stuff to dig into. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, very happy with this in terms of sort of what it needed to do or what like something needed to do, which is, you know, really give you a, a visceral feel for this. Yeah. Um, at the risk of quoting Stalin, you know, <laughs> death of a million, uh, uh, one man is a tragedy. A million men is just a statistic, you know. So, yeah, you can say like, oh, we killed a thousand people in Pittsburgh. Later that day, we killed a million of them. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. As, as speaking of, like on the next page after it ends, there's those ads like for the new universe subscription service with uh, like Ken Connell star brand in his superhero outfit, for, which is like redone <laughs> from the cover. And it's like, subscribe now or he'll blow up your city. It's like. It feels like in poor taste, honestly. It's like they're, Too soon. they're Too totally soon. committed to like we hate this character. Yeah. Um it's, Ken Connell was not designed to be the human bomb. 
right. um, or whatever. The um, I was I had to like Google around a little on Wikipedia and places the um, the Civil War uh, crossover that Marvel did mm-hmm. kicks off when um, a guy like a supervillain with the power to blow up blew up like a school or something, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, that character is still out there. Like they didn't like. Oh, this guy is such a monster. We have to. No, he's just like another. Oh, got caught by the Avengers again. Whoopsie. Yeah. What? Um, that is the nice thing about New Universe, though. Like, you know, I, I we, we saw a touch of retcon with Justice, uh, though I think they did it well enough that it works. And, then, and of course, like a little bit of retcon in like a, a definitely new direction in Starbrand kind of thing. But like, this is all pretty permanent. You know, there's no, no. No There's no tapbacks in the new universe. Yeah. That's true, true, yeah. So that's yeah, why it's it's an also like when they do something like this, you don't expect them to um you know, it was a dream at, for for any of this stuff. Yeah. Right. But I mean bringing it back to justice, like like this is kind of a relief though, because you know, Starbrand was not my favorite. Uh, which introduced the explosion, and then the pit was kind of dull, honestly. And then you're like, okay, this is good. Like, here's here's a good story. I, I would I would recommend it, kind of thing. Even the random government agent who showed up like wasn't like a bloodthirsty psychopath. <laughs> like, it's, it sounded like maybe he's got an agenda, but he's like, hey, go ahead, go check it don't, out. Don't shoot him. He's not a civilian. Go find some. <laughs> okay. I will uh, throw out an A for this one. It hit a lot of my uh, points. Yeah, that's uh, what I was thinking. So. Easy A. Easy A. Cool I gotta say, starting, you got yourself you get, a good grade to start with. You get a, a a strong creative team. You can change all the continuity you want. You know, it's like, uh, what can I say? I'm I'm impressed with these guys. Right. Ah. Oh. Let me see. Uh, shall we take a break before we um, dig into some DP7? Absolutely. Awesome. Queuing up the break time music. Okay, welcome back. Unless you never stop listening. And then here we're in part two, talking about DP7. Uh, so yeah, we mentioned it, it came out at the same time. So it's cover dated April 1988, though came out in January 1988. And uh, to recap, well, we had a big race war, right? So the uh, all Ooh, of the paranormals started... That's right, Whitey. <laughs> <laughs> All of the paranormals started uh, jumping into cliques among race and gender and, you know, I'm, okay, now it's starting to sound like 2023, but uh, yeah, and it was yeah, in a big brawl. And age. There was the kids. Oh, the kids. Right. And age, yeah. 
Yeah, and the the women wanted a independent group as well. Um, interesting stuff. Charlie Beck at the center of all the the intersection, if you will. Uh-huh. Intersectional <laughs> politics for Charlie Beck. Um, interesting story, and um, it has played out over the last four issues, I think. Yeah. At least. Yeah, so um, we kind of left at the end of that rumble where Lenore just wiped everybody out uh, and ended the whole fight. Um, so that that brings us to this issue, number 18, another pit tie-in. It's got the nice little corner thing. The only two issues that had that cute little corner pit tie-in piece. Um, it, even though I, I, mean, I suspect we will get more pit as we go. Yeah, they kind of leave it immediately, but it's uh, amusing to me that Cyforce did not get tied in at all. Yeah, well, they were farther away, I guess, so it kind of makes sense. It's yeah, it it makes uh, sense in terms of like who they are and where they are. Yeah, so yeah, but uh, our cover is pretty interesting. We've got. Uh, a squad of paranormals, not quite our normal full team. You got Landers and Randy and Lenore and Charlie, but also Mutator. And uh, our blonde uh, Stephanie is still in a coma. So this is likely Sponge, uh, the oh, water absorbing lady, but and an antibody. But what, what I just noticed now looking at it is funny is because it's got like a bunch of smoke and rubble and they're kind of clearing a path through it. Maybe perhaps a bad road. Um, and uh, Randy's shining his flashlight into the smoke, like this clunky 70s flashlight. And then Lenore's shining her face like a flashlight into the same <laughs> cloud. I'm like, interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, interesting. If uh, if there's anything in there, it'll like just drop uh, comatose any second. I guess. <laughs> But I, I thought that was kind of a funny little thing. But it, it is a nice cover. It looks good. A lot of purple. Um, yeah, I like the uh, the Stephanie switcheroo that uh, she's. You, you you look at this and you think, oh, she's she woke up and is going on off with them. So yeah, or at least you might you might think that. And I forget if we've seen a good mutator before this. Was he in the last issue as he well? He was in the last issue. Um, yeah. Or the one before Indeed. that. He was just briefly shown. And uh Yeah. Yeah, that kind of lumpy um look from behind is un is pretty uh unusual. So okay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. DP seven. Uh so yeah, the cover says into the unknown, although we know of course this is bad road. <laughs> uh, of course, uh written by Gruenwald. Uh, art by Paul Ryan, ink by Bulanati, which we get quite a lot of, uh, and that works out well for us. And our cover splash page, Bad Road, December 23rd, 1987. Uh, basically, he's got Jeff Walters, Blur, um, blasting his way through out the front door of the clinic, down the steps, and running, yelling, Mama! Wait, okay. Um, it says, yeah, Clinic for Paranormal Research in Western Wisconsin. So 
Yeah, Jeff goes running, screaming, and that clips to inside where uh, Dave Landers, our big muscly mastodon, is uh, apparently cleaning up from the mess of that whole big fight. So he's grumbling about it, and uh, why they make the strong guy do the janitor job and pick everything up, while he's also like holding a dumpster with one hand over his head, so or kind of like on his back like a backpack. So like, well, I wonder why they're making you clean up the rubble, man. Um, yep, so dumpster. I like it. Yeah. Got, it's a, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the place still has, you know, walls and stuff looking trashed. So, uh, yeah, they can't, apparently, you still can't find a shirt that fits right. So, <laughs> still rocking the shirtless fur boot kind of look. So, it would fit in well with any He Man cast. Um, but he hears the crash, which we know was Jeff blazing out the front door, screaming and running. And, and we had heard before, like he's got family in Pittsburgh and he was excited about the superhero, uh, which is such a cruel little setup uh, that he was saving newspaper clippings. And I'm like, wow, this is great. Um, oof, not so much. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he doesn't know what happened. He kind of recaps that there's the big riot uh you know this better not be starting all over again uh but he walks out you know doesn't really see anything going on and it's like uh, it's like the door was looked like it was blown open from the inside out who do i know with the power to do that only about half a dozen of these weirdos being treated at this zoo um and you know he's just kind of grumbling to himself thinking in his head um and then our uh, attractive blonde from the cover, uh, Sponge or Miriam Sorensen, as we learned this issue, pops up and she's got a real crush on Landers. She's like, "Hello, David. I heard you, I heard that crash. Need some help?" Oh, I need some help earlier. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, pitch in." <laughs> He's like, "It's all right. You can call me Sponge. Everyone else does. I'm used to it. Are you aware that a lot of people call you Mastodon?" <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah. Sponge. <laughs> it was like there was a Simpsons where Otto, the uh, school bus driver, like, oh, like, yeah, we'll call him Sponge. And he took that as like the worst insult possible. So. <laughs> oh, man. I always enjoyed that. Sponge. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so they go outside to kind of like sweep up the glass and she's just like flirting with him the whole time. You know, I don't think Mastodon suits you at all. You seem more like a big teddy bear to me. He's like, <laughs> I won't tell anyone though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like inner monologue is always this lady sure has been acting friendly towards me lately. Wonder what her problem is. <laughs> Finds himself unlovable. <laughs> You're, yeah, mm, okay, Dave. Um, <laughs> it's quite obvious to the reader what her, her problem is, I guess. Yeah, oh, yes, <laughs> but yeah, us, us dudes tend to be oblivious at times, so we'll, we'll give Dave the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, she drops some interesting, kind of like flash forward tidbits. She's like, what does this broken door mean? I, when I heard it, I thought those murderers, Freefall and Tangler, came back. Are we going to do anything about them? So I guess you know, they were sort of discovered after the fact to have been killing the Black Powers uh, and then must have taken off. And he's like, what are we going to do, organize a posse? 
uh, go after them. And as they're talking, uh, Sponge starts absorbing water from the snow and she kind of blows up literally, you know, to look like, you know, a very large obese woman, basically. Uh, but that's her power. She absorbs water and, um, you know, gets bigger, but then she can kind of shoot it out, you know, like a sponge. Yeah, this is really, uh, it's really unusual that um, a female character is like, um, becomes less attractive when they use their power. I'm not sure I can even think of one other. Yeah, that's, that's not something that most comic book people would do. <laughs> yeah, usually they'll like lose their clothes or something or like sort of light up so they're even more yeah. uh, attractive. Well, well, speaking of, I mean, we don't usually get elderly superheroes either, but, you know, here comes Lenore running by trying to work off her, <laughs> you know, absorbed power of the entire clinic kind of thing. She's probably as fit as a 20-year-old at this point, as, as much right. as she absorbed last time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, basically she she keeps she comes comes running by. Uh you know, Dave asks if she'd seen anything, and she's like, no, nah, I've been I've just been out running. Uh again, yeah, that's she it kind of explains that she's absorbed too much energy. Um all right, well, and we cut back to the infirmary in the clinic, and hey, look at that. Squirm is alive. Squirm lives, <laughs> which is great. I was pretty sure he was toast. Um, and we even get a little uh, Randy thinking, amazing his rubbery resilience. When we found him tied up and stuffed between the pipes a few days ago, I'd have sworn he was dead. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, Squirm was just such a like, um, low-key and kind of shy character you know so he he was always kind of hanging back and didn't want to um fight and and get aggressive as some of his friends were doing and so he was just kind of carried along with this so you know uh good glad to see he he was okay and uh or at least had survived and uh we don't have yeah. to kill all the characters to uh make a point i guess <laughs> so yeah so i guess notably he was not trying to kill randy like the other black powers perhaps were <laughs> uh for example indigo who's also in a hospital bed and when randy goes to check her she's like sitting there angrily pretending to be sleeping she kind of turns and smacks him it's like keep your hands off me white bread whitey white bread come on you people <laughs> going on this week i don't know she yells at him like you go help your own kind uh so he's like okay maybe the other black powers will let me help them and then we go to uh or bazooka and i'm not sure I don't, I don't remember what happened to him last issue but his hands are all wrapped up i'm gonna guess scuzz let me see if we look at the uh the like the the flashback panel on page two, it just has him sort of firing his blast somewhere. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would I, be interesting if, if you know if Scuzz actually caused him to burn. Uh, but yeah, he shoots like force blasts out of his hands, and uh, apparently his name is Dwight. I think that's the first time we get his first name. But yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, please give me some pain meds. And so they get him some morphine. Uh, we kind of pan out to... Okay, druggy. Yeah, he's not addicted yet. Fetch me the syrup. <laughs> give him some. 
but uh, some Demerol or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So so we pan out to uh, Stalagmite, uh, who looks like he's like drinking coffee, uh, watching TV, kind of keeping guard. Um, but he falls asleep, and we get Indigo kind of sneaks off. Thinking, yeah, idiot finally dozed off, so I can attend to some unfinished business upstairs. So, you know, Indigo starts sneaking around, and remember, she's just kind of the instigator in the whole race race war thing. Um, and she has these like purple hands that can punch and crush and whatnot. But, uh, you know, she's sneaking around saying, oh, they haven't gotten around to reinstalling the video cameras. And she pops, like, kind of breaks open uh, the a door. And then we find that she's going after our old friend, Charlie. Uh, and she's mad because Charlie essentially did not help them in the big riot. Um, so get our first battle of the issue. Um, starts pretty fast, so... Uh, it's kind of hard to see, but we get the impression she's kind of using her big hand to like grab Charlie's bed and like fold it like a like a taco, I guess, and right. try and crush uh, poor Charlie. But she wakes up pretty quickly, um, first thinking her bed's collapsed, but then recognizing you know this angry woman screaming at her, "I told you you'd pay for crossing me, Charlotte." Uh, of course, Charlie Beck has. Uh, friction power so she goes uh frictionless and so the bed kind of squeezes her out like pops her out of the thing um which sends her flying to the ceiling which she sticks to um nearly naked mind you (laughs) uh but she clings to the ceiling very attractive spider-man right missed opportunity there who wants to look at skin tight suit spider-man when you can look at charlie beck clinging from the ceiling uh, but she's gotten good with her powers and you can really tell. So she kind of like, you know, swings herself off the ceiling, you know, goes full like two knees into N- Indigo, like flying, crashing into her, uh, pinning her down, scaring her into closing her eyes and then using her uh, friction stickiness powers to keep her eyelids shut, which is kind of impressive. Right. Maybe yeah, she should have stuck her whole body to the ground, though. <laughs> Yeah, she's, uh, I mean, it's a good idea to like keep your, her eyes closed, but she's like honestly just too dangerous, sort of yeah. flailing around blind with these like, you know, whatever telekinetic fists or whatever she's got. Yeah, it, it's uh, like if, if Green Lantern could only make like a slappy hand, punchy fist thing, like that's, that's <laughs> a pretty strong power anyway, still. Yeah, but I mean, if she'd like, sort of glued her arm to the ground at least it would be limit like the directions it could yeah i think i think it would limit the directions but yeah so lighting her was a good idea but it doesn't turn out perfectly successful no well anyway so so indigo starts swinging her purple hand things around blindly now and it doesn't take long before she gets a good pop and hits charlie right in the stomach sends her flying um she makes the floor slippery but then she ends up just kind of hitting the wall and you know as with indigo bearing down on her um you know she loses sight of her she loses concentration so indigo can even see uh, charlie gets hit in the arm but it's kind of a glancing blow but then finally the 
a squad of three antibodies come flying in just as indigo is above her saying aha i can see again you're dead now girl uh, and then we get our second mama of the book from charlie beck and the the antibodies have their little exclamation exclamation marks yeah the antibodies little uh word balloons are always kind of interesting um uh, top of page eight i can't quite figure out what the squiggle thing is that they're showing there i don't know if you had made any sense out of that i mean i it's some like noise or something that they make was my impression that uh i mean it doesn't have a clear i don't yeah i mean sometimes it's like you know they're surprised or something it's just an exclamation mark or like one of them is holding charlie and it's just a smiley yeah um, but the yep. angry ones, it's just, you know, I don't know if it's a noise or like a, just their sort of mood in, yeah. in a graphic form. That's <laughs> good question. This is a good question. Um, but they work pretty well as a team. So like one antibody zips Charlie away. That's the smiley one. Uh, and then the remaining three. So like one, two grab like an arm each, right? So kind of disable the, the indigo arms and the other one punches indigo square in the face. Uh, Randy follows and kind of wakes up, tries to figure out what's going on, uh, picks up Charlie. Um, and then we see the antibody beatdown going on. Uh, indigo doesn't stand much of a chance against three. You know, they kind of pop her again. They got her down on the floor looking like they're just going to start kicking her uh, until Randy gets them to stop. Um so at, at that point, everybody's been alerted. So uh, Landers comes in. Antibodies uh, arrested on racial uh, <laughs> injustice charges. Oh, that's, they're black, I guess, right? <laughs> but they come from a white guy. Does that mean they're white guys? Uh, I don't. Let's just say I don't want to see that day in court. You know, uh, right? <laughs> who knows which way they'll go? Well, that was kind of Randy's dilemma from before, right? Like it was his antibody that killed um you know the killed someone in the clinic oh shoot what was his name charm oh, yeah oh no um ah the the big boss Boyd. no wait no you're right yeah charm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, charm, right. yeah and uh so it was like so it wasn't randy directly but it kind of was so like he felt bad so that that whole mess um but yeah anyway so th this kind of alerts everybody in the hallway so a whole bunch of uh, paranormals come out scrap iron mutator um do we have a a name for pam i don't know if she has like a i haven't i don't remember a code name for her other than um her last name was like truesdale or something yeah um it was Another... like heartbreaker or something or maybe that's just what i guessed based on like the cover she was on right um Man, another manipulator or something yeah like another attractive woman not a lot of clothes coming out into the hallway this is the best issue ever i gotta say <laughs> and, and this is a hilarious scene actually i do love it too they're like scrap iron's like what did i miss i'm like nothing scrap iron go back to beds landers and then pam's there is like i heard that randy and that little tart weren't even talking to it another to one another drat looks like they made up uh, so she had the hots for him, but only in the dream issue. So I guess she really does. 
Yeah, I was surprised that she'd uh, she hadn't acted on it in like the what a time that's elapsed if she was. Oh, really that I guess she did though, because when there when the uh, when the whole riot was going down, her idea was to grab Randy and make him fall in love with her, right? <laughs> okay, well, you guys are trying to kill each other, and like now is my chance. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, well, that's not the part I found most funny about this scene, but. Uh, um, what was it? What was your best part? So my favorite was, OK, so she is saying, um, well, it's, so Lander stops it and says, everyone go back to bed. It shows over. And she says, how do we know it's safe? How do we? And he's, he just tells Scrap Iron, Scrap, will you please escort Pam to her room and stay with her till she feels safe? Sure thing. And it's like. I like that, like, Pam, who's this, yeah, ridiculously attractive, is, yeah, got eyes on Randy and, I don't know, maybe Dave or something. But he's just like, hey, you, uh, Scrap Iron, you take her and uh, make sure she's okay. Um, Scrap Iron looks like Jack Magniconti, so maybe you should have sent Mutator. (laughs) Because, yeah, when we see them later, it's like, hmm, something happens and no one says anything. Yeah. It seems like a good setup for romance, though. I it know. totally does. Mm. Speaking of setup for romance, uh, Randy taking Charlie to the back to the emergency room, you know, because she was hurt in the fight, uh, finally gives them their moment after a long time to talk. Uh, she's like, Randy? He's like, you're okay, Charlie. Just a bruise on your shoulder. Uh, he's like, I... Or no, she says, I thought you hated me. Uh, he says, no, I always liked you a lot. I just had problems with you wanting to take it further than friendship. And she says, thank you for saving me from that that woman. She would have killed me. And he's like, well, actually, it was my, you know, he's going to say antibodies. And they get interrupted by Landers walking in with an unconscious indigo. A uh, bit of a buzzkill there, Landers. Um, <sighs> which, of course, is going to freak out Charlie. Um, Charlie, relax. She won't hurt you anymore. I promise. Grabs some morphine and starts picking <laughs> her full. Of already it. beaten her into submission. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so then we get the next morning. They're in the cafeteria, and Pam is working the food line. Dave says, "I see you survived the night, Pam." She's like, "Why, yes, thank you." <laughs> Just a little the worse for wear, but um, there's there's your implication there, I guess. No comment. And so uh, Jeff Walters usually does that. So he, he was usually the food guy. Um, and so that gets them so like, oh, well, where is he? We really haven't seen him in a while. Uh, Randy sends his antibodies out to, to, to sweep the clinic, to see if they can find it. Um, so as they're kind of talking, settling down and, you know, notably, uh, Charlie's finally kind of coming back to sit with uh, Randy and Dave. Uh, no sign of the, the other classic DP guys, um, but uh, you know, Mutator notice hears overhears them talking. Says, "Excuse me, if it's Jeff Walters you're talking about, I saw him." So Mutator's an interesting guy. I mean, it's this is DP seven. He's just in a sweatshirt and some pants. His face is kind of like it's fleshy, like a person, but mostly covered in hair, and he's got kind of like six eyes, like a bug, almost like spider eyes. Yeah, my impression was like, if you were sort of transmogrifying into a spider, 
that's what he would look like. Um, so I, I don't know if he's like um, that he's becoming more spider-like or less, you know, but that that's the, yeah. The, the spider eyes is the most creepy thing about him. I think. In For this sure, yeah. Look. Yeah. You're right. The hair, it's kind of a lumpy head as well. I don't know. It's... Yeah, he's got like three fingers instead of five. He's an interesting looking guy. His name's George, apparently, by the way. Uh, but he says, yeah, he was in the rec room with Jeff. Uh, Jeff was playing ping pong, probably with himself. Uh, when the news came on, he got agitated and ran out the room. Tried to follow him, but you know he's way too fast. He's like, he's like, so that's a, so that's what broke the front door. And uh, Miriam Sponge is there. Like, what was so so bad on the news that got him so upset? He's like, oh, it's about what happened in Pittsburgh. Didn't you guys hear? Uh, apparently not. Um, and you know, why is he so concerned about Pittsburgh? You know, they they throw on the old TV in the rec room, and of course, all news channels are going to be talking about what's going on in Pittsburgh. So uh, we already know what happened. Um, they're talking about this baffling disaster, not a lot of good information. Uh, best picture we have is from the Soviet weather satellite, which seems to show a 50 mile wide crater where Pittsburgh and its environs had been. Uh, definitely not nuclear, you know, uh, maybe no danger to those in the outlying districts. So our DP7 crew now knows about Pittsburgh, at least a little bit. Um, so yeah, they, they kind of recount, you know, Jeff had family there, uh, and, you know, maybe we could get a hold of his mom, you know, but Jeff's aunt and uncle were living in Pittsburgh. If they were visiting for Christmas, then, you know, something really horrible could have happened. Um, of course, during this conversation, there's kind of a fun little clip of the two of the antibodies playing chess with each other. <laughs> Again, kind of like a mysterious little bit of like, just how smart are these things? We just—it's still kind of hard to know. And so they basically they, you know, with a lot of dialogue to go through, they decide it's time to go looking for him, right? Like we, oh, let's something could happen to him, you know. Well, let's go out and look. So you know, the first team is Randy. Uh, Dave Landers and Charlie, of course, wants to go because she doesn't want to stick around in the clinic where Indigo is. So did, Randy does mention with the, the recent murders, runaways, expulsions, the number of people who need treatment here is pretty low. So it feels a little emptier here. And so maybe, you know, the at least the murderers ran away, probably other people. Um, and a couple of people probably got tossed out. So yeah, um, maybe things are getting calming down at the clinic. Um. And I also kind of like the where he, he he says, you want to go looking for him, don't you, Randy? Yeah, I figure I owe him that for standing by when the clinic's hunters were after me. And it's just, so you kind of, they don't act like a team all the time of like, oh, my, you know, brother Avenger, I'm, you know, with you in this fight or something. They're just sort of like, you know, they were the, several months of staying together at the clinic and you don't really see them you know, exclusively palling around with each other, but they they still have this like bond of like all they went through before. And so if one of them's in trouble, at least, you know, the others, you know, are willing to, to, 
you know, entertain the idea of going to hell. I right. like that attitude. Yeah, except Scuzz. <laughs> Scuzz appears nowhere in this issue. I'm not, I can't say if they ever like go looking for him. Possibly, possibly he ran away. I don't know. But... <laughs> I'm assuming. He's... Are we going to go look for Scuzz? No, no. <laughs> they did that once and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> That was the whole separation storyline, but anyway, we we clipped to soon, and you know, if he's a, Dave Landers, uh, Mastodon had been like reading to Stephanie, who's still in a coma after Hackbarth kind of like screwed up her uh, mind and body and kind of gave her a stroke. Um, so he kind of goes to say goodbye to her, uh, you know, gives her a kiss on the head. So he's clearly developing an emotional attachment to a coma patient. I'm sure that'll go well. I'm sure that will go well. Um, he's like, you know, let make sure those healing sparkles of yours get to use to make yourself better. And actually, when he closes the door, we do see she is glowing. So in the before she had that accident, she or before she was sort of attacked, she uh had been sparkling more and more and more and kind of getting stronger and stronger, uh, which she did not like. Uh, but before then, you know, when it was dark, she would kind of sparkle. So I guess maybe she's coming back. Right. It's about time. So we'll see. Uh, it has been a, a, the whole, yeah. What is it like issue 11? Yeah, it's been months. So, yeah. But I mean, that, that's realistic and there's plenty of characters. Um, Dave goes to Lenore to ask her to kind of sit in and, and talk and, uh, you know, take up his reading time but Lenore's like forget that I'm going too I can use a change of scenery um still no sign of the guy who body painted her so did she kill that guy I don't know what's going on like got a little experimental and it didn't end well Lenore what do you think happened to uh Juris Siegler <laughs> um I don't know uh probably Tangler and Freefall killed him I don't he, he wasn't a paranormal yeah I don't know I don't know he's definitely not in my closet <laughs> time to go <laughs> all right so i uh, would get get a road trip going so um they had got back the old winnebago that they had escaped in, in the first place um and miriam sponge had got them all cool wintry outfits with, with goggles and stuff uh almost like the mountain man suit uh landers has got going on uh, she mentions that she's rich, or her her parent, her father is uh, president of the Menasha Corporation. He pays all the bills I run up on my credit cards. I'm like, oh. hmm. You cannot impress Dave at all. No, he's really not feeling. So he's, he's hoping she doesn't. She doesn't come though. She wants it. He's like, well, if Randy says it's okay, it's okay with me. And he's like, please, Randy, tell her no. <laughs> Randy's power is not mind reading. So no. <laughs> And Lenore is even thinking to herself, such a forward young woman that Miriam is, not at all like Stephanie, <laughs> who <laughs> didn't really have romantic feelings towards Dave Landers, just for the record. Um, but uh, anyway, so Randy's like, all right, yeah, you can come. <laughs> He's like, though that doesn't please Dave. He's like, oh, you had to let her come along, didn't you? He's like, oh, what do you mean? I thought she was your biggest fan. He's like, a nuisance is what she is. Like, well, I couldn't very well say no after she provided us with all this great winter gear. It's like, well, her father did, you mean? So, I wanted to date her father, though. No, so. <laughs> Landers is a supreme grumpus, I guess. 
Dude. Anyway, so they get going on the road. Uh, we cut to an hour later. Uh, Charlie's going, getting ready to get up and use the those tiny little horrible Winnebago bathrooms, and she opens it up. Uh, and to her horror, there's something in there. Uh, that something is George, the ah. <laughs> ah, he's hiding. It's in a the spider. That's <laughs> uh, just the same guy. So she screams, everybody comes running. It's like, that mutator guy, what are you doing in here? It's like, I'm sorry. I just really wanted to go with you. Jeff was the only one who was ever nice to me. And he was like, nice. He stopped um, the kid that throws the spitballs from like harassing him once and, and was nice to him. And I, I think that was enough to get him latched on. Uh, yeah. I was like, all right, well, no sense driving him back. So we get a nice little map. Uh, from I mean, actually, we get to see where the clinic is. I wasn't thinking of it too much, but um, yeah, it's definitely on the western border of Wisconsin. Uh, so um, we have an actual location. Yeah, I didn't uh, double check that. Try to get that uh, nailed down a little bit more, but um, like half between Chicago and I want to say um, Minneapolis, mm-hmm. but. Um, the the thing I noticed was that the colorist uh, seemed to forget that there's several Great Lakes on the map. <laughs> he got one, and uh, either the new universe is a little different than the world outside my window. But uh, oh yeah, upon closer inspection, this map is weird. <laughs> yeah, the, like Erie is just green as uh, the rest of the land. So right. and and then it gets a little weird. What's the one furthest east, Huron or Ontario? Because <laughs> yeah, there's only like a short bit of land uh, between Buffalo and Detroit. <laughs> yeah, I'm like no, that's not quite right. Not quite right at all. Mm. So. Well, anyway, so they're, they're taking but the highways are pretty accurate though. Yeah. So where they're where they're driving is um, exactly the way you would do it today. So. True. True. I'll try not to spend too much time staring at that strange map now. <laughs> well, anyway, um, you get you get kind of a scene out of the apocalypse or zombie type films where like one lane of the highway is just packed with bumper to bumper traffic and uh, the DP7 Winnebago is headed in the other direction. So they got smooth sailing. Um, and yeah, it's like, well, sooner or later, we're going to find that all roads into Pittsburgh are closed to traffic. May as well be sooner. Uh, so they come up uh, across yet another, I mean, not for this comic, but for the pit, yet another roadblock. Um, and this is the job you do not want in the National Guard, I'm thinking, is like the, the roadblock guy for the pit, because they always seem to be get, getting it taken to them. <laughs> I mean... The, the very size of the pit, it's sort of, I mean, the number of people you would need to sort of block it off in all directions. Uh, I don't want to think about it, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, things do get a little rural when you get far enough away from the city. So you know, a couple of people on each road might might be kind of doable. But... Yeah, but I mean, the circumference of just the thing itself would be like... Uh, 150 miles something so that's a long uh border to to keep an eye on but i don't know okay yeah. we'll, we'll just accept it as it goes yeah well they, they stopped the rv um 
you know, haven't you heard there isn't a Pittsburgh to go to turn around, got that. Uh, but Lenore quickly kind of pops in, pulls off the face mask and zaps these two guys. And they just blast the RV through the, the little uh, rudimentary wooden roadblock. Um, you know, as, as they go, you know, Randy decides, you know, send out the, a couple of antibodies to kind of scout ahead and figure out what's going on. And as they're getting closer, you can think, see things are starting to get more and more wrecked. You know, like it says Pittsburgh 50 miles and, you know, the signs are down. The power lines are, are leaned over. There's kind of uh, scrap all over the place. And, you know, that's basically they decide, all right, well, the closer we get, you know, the more of the army we're going to run into. Um and we got to kind of plan for this. The antibodies detected like a whole bunch of military, you know, a more serious roadblock up ahead. Uh, so they decide to stash the RV, hide it under some crud and start walking, basically. And so we get the whole group uh, top of page 18. They're all in their cool outfits with their goggles, except for poor mutator who stowed along thinking to himself, maybe I shouldn't have come along. No one will even talk to me. <laughs> it's perhaps even a little bit more of a sad sack than Mastodon is <laughs> a little. <laughs> and, uh, Miriam sponge is thinking to herself, Hmm, I gotta do something to make, make Dave really take notice of me. <laughs> And Dave's thinking, I wouldn't tell anyone, but I'm kind of enjoying this. <laughs> and of course, Charlie's just thinking, my feet are killing me. <laughs> so uh, Chico, the antibody, I, I forget all of their names, but uh, Chico comes by, kind of touches Randy, you know, and notifies him that there's a, an army truck coming. Um, so... Uh, they say run for cover, but then Charlie is saying, oh, I got a better idea. Let's just hijack it. We can drive even further with an army truck. Okay. <laughs> That's bold. Um, so her and Sponge kind of play the damsels in distress in the middle of the road. The army guys are like, Harry, you see what I see? Yeah, two civilian chicks. Uh, good, good thing it's not... Uh, What's his name? It was, good thing it's not Mac Browning because he enjoys killing civilians, but um, they pretend that they're injured. Well, they... he orders people to kill civilians. Oh, There's right. Yeah. You know, his hands are clean. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but uh, they kind of pretend, you know, like, oh my gosh, my friend got hurt. It's been hours. Uh, they're all fighting themselves to, <laughs> they're fighting with themselves to help Miriam, um, both trying to pick her up to bring her to the rescue. Um, and she uses that opportunity to absorb their water, apparently. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so just touches the poor guys on the face, and you can see her getting heavier. Uh, she's like kind of middle of the road, a little bit chubby. Uh, but the guys get get knocked out. Uh, she's like, what? It's like, don't worry, they'll recover. I didn't take too much. And she's thinking to herself, at least I don't think I did. It's not something I've practiced a lot. So hopefully she didn't kill those guys. Let's let's hope. Let's hope. But instead, she throws them in the back of the truck uh, and they keep on going. They hit another kind of stopping point and another hapless poor uh, guardsman. And this this in this case, uh, Dave Landers is driving the truck and he's like, oh, sorry, soldier. And uh, basically uh, mutator comes up from behind and like 
pushes him, kind of clobbers the guy up against the army truck. So, you know, violently takes out yet another guard. I can only hope that it's, um, you know, yeah, that the pre the two previous ones who got dehydrated are okay because this is like a little more violent. But I don't know that Mutator has any power that would help him overcome someone anyway. So right, I mean, he could be stronger. He could be unnaturally strong, but I don't know. Right. So, so yeah, so again, another checkpoint down. These these poor National Guardsmen aren't really. Uh, pulling their weight and um through i, I kind of like this as they're driving on and the road gets more cruddy you know we've seen so many little like product placements in the new universe mcdonald's and denny's and all these kinds of things but now we see like the, the scrapyard refuse version of all that there's like a mcdonald's sign next to a toilet next to some fallen trees a sunoco gas station sign it's just the wreckage of uh suburban pittsburgh towns i guess um so they think they're about 30 miles away and at this point the road is impassable um landers goes out to just like physically move the junk out of the road so the truck can keep going um but i've got to assume that's not sustainable here he's, he's thinking to himself i wonder if anyone else has admitted to himself the truth the odds of finding jeff are slightly less than finding a needle in a mile wide haystack and so, so finally, again, kind of continuing this long journey, uh, Landers is, is beat. He's like, I had it. My back's killing me. Uh, the debris just keeps getting worse. It's taken us two hours just to go a mile. Um, he's like, we better, we, we'd make better time by ditching the truck and proceeding on foot. Besides, I've only got about six hours before the sun comes up. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just marching forward, uh, not without much of a plan as far as things go, but um, basically stepping over cars, stepping over house pe pieces of houses, streetlights, bathroom doors. Um, the antibodies are scouting ahead. And when they kind of bring back the information to Randy, he's like, ah, one of my antibodies just gave me a peek of what's just ahead. The only problem is I can't tell what I'm looking at. Smoke or steam is all I can make out. Is it starting to get really foggy? Is that the smoke you were talking about? I, like, I guess so. Everybody stay close together. Randy pulls out his flashlight. He's make, taking some steps. We hear some creaking. He's like, oh, I'm standing on something pretty shaky. What's happening? And then the whole bunch of them go over the edge. So, okay. <laughs> uh, they were all standing on one roof, I guess. Yeah, it looks like they were all on one roof. And our final panel is everyone falling into the void of black nothingness. Uh, and like, okay, they might be all dead, but probably not because comic books. But uh, all, we get, all we get is a next pitfall. Ooh, clever. So even it's if only we... one T though. What the hell? Oh yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> Good catch. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the end. That is the end. Clearly the pit tie-ins will will continue because they're definitely not gonna leave. They're like, oh, I remember when we fell in the pit. Oh, it's a good thing we got <laughs> out of there safely. <laughs> Come back, yeah. The next issue is a month later. Well, I didn't want to tell you too much about that, but anyway, okay. <laughs> I gotta 
Yeah, sure, sure. All right, so so we've come to the end of our second pit tie-in issue of the day. What did you think of this one? Does it hold up against the delightful justice? It is. It, it's interesting um, that it's uh, it works pretty well for me. I think the um, distance from you know Wisconsin to Pittsburgh is is you know, gives them a much different experience they don't have that again the like white event um they hardly noticed anything i guess they just get this through the news which is interesting but um they have uh like i said it i like this sort of interaction among the paranormals it's not like oh we've got to get the team back together but it is like oh it's one of our friends you know and yeah. Jeff is, uh, we've got a couple of new characters sort of thrown into the mix with sort of different agendas of their own, but relatable ones. Um, and I like the, here it's sort of more being further away that you see the sort of difficulty of getting to the scene of the crime and, right. you know, 15 hours in the Winnebago and I don't honestly believe you only need to stop once for gas during that um you've got you know checkpoint outer checkpoint inner checkpoint you know check checkpoint um and then in the last i don't know how far they're just slogging through um salvage or something you know all this wrecked housing so yeah i mean it gives you a much less sort of visceral thing. Um, we hardly saw anything of Jeff's reaction. And like, so like we just sort of assume that he's thinks his, his family was there or something. Um, but it works pretty well. And honestly, after a few issues of um, what they've been dealing with, this is pretty refreshing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It feels nice like we have a little like break. No, yeah, we've got like a little bit like a purpose, people going somewhere and doing something. That feels great too. So I'm pretty psyched with this. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, again, like it was a nice refreshing issue after the pit and Starbrand being, you know, a little subpar. So like I back to, you know, well written stories that don't mess up the characters that were in the ways that we're kind of used to and things like that so and dp7 is always good it just is i mean there might be a bad issue somewhere uh but we haven't come across it yet well well uh, annual oh yeah i guess it was okay (laughs) it was okay i mean it was it was uh it's not up to par i would say um but yeah, even like minor characters pop in, like Pam and Scrap Iron, and you're like, okay, I can, you know, very relatable uh, activities here going on through all of them. Yeah, this uh, sponge is kind of taking center stage as long as Stephanie is off off stage. <laughs> um, I like that there's at least three women in the of the clinic who are just going after guys. <laughs> Two of them but, going after Randy. <laughs> well, I was kind of thinking, yeah, Pam might be uh, 
willing to to go for Dave as well because Dave's always saying he looks like an animal, but I don't think he realizes women like that and some women like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's a uh, um, yeah. The Charlie and uh, Randy sort of have some moments in there that seem quite promising, but uh, of course they are interrupted. So, hmm. Overall, um, I hate to say it, but I'm I'm ready to hand out another A. Wow! Today, easy grader. Yeah, <laughs> I was not quite as enamored. I guess Ouch. not, oh, not ready God. to give it the A. Um, oh, I think God. Justice was stronger. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, Justice was stronger in a like what you feel after reading it right um but this felt refreshing in a way that the last couple of issues were kind of getting darker and like more oh what are we gonna do you know right this feels like a breath of fresh air and a new like ah you know let's just shake this off our backs and just head into it you know Hmm. something where we can try to help our friend maybe that'll you know we can use these powers for something positive for once. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go A minus. I'm for me, it was kind of a you know, setting up the next story kind of issue, right? So we're wrapping up what we were doing before. We're moving on to something new and interesting. You know, so it's it's a transition. So that's a classic DP seven uh A minus B plus kind of thing. <laughs> there you go. Sounds good. But yeah, we What's... got we got mail. Yeah, paranormal mail. I will never forgive them for getting real like mail uh, <laughs> letter column titles. So, so in this, I never betrayed quite know. the very essence of the new universe. But go ahead. Is it usually the assistant editor or the editor that who's writing the responses to these things? Uh I thought it was usually it like. I thought an assistant editor would like take them, but maybe I'm just thinking of some other magazine. Or yeah, we never really get to know for sure. But anyway, like sign the... it. No. Well, the editor is Mackie, and the assistant editor is Joanne Spaldo. Um, but um, a lot of the letters, you know, we're talking about older issues. You know, talking you know earlier, like eleven and twelve. So these are kind of quite a ways away from where we're at, um, compared to maybe like the three or four or five issue gap that I'm used to for letters pages. But uh, interesting that like a lot of people asked about the ES people, <laughs> or suggested that they should have their own comic, or like since you're can since you've canceled some of these other titles, maybe you've made your room made some room for the es people Uh, i didn't think they were that interesting but i mean i think people gravitated to the idea of this new sort of group of paranormals i mean maybe if you were um you know well certainly i think we'd all like it if the new universe had moved in the direction of trying new titles yeah it's like you like sci force here's more of the same except with average adults <laughs> without sad backstories i mean you know I, I all i can say is you know they had potential um and like if you had a good um gruenwald you know pushing it 
it could have certainly been a at least a mini series of of you know them doing something yeah um we'll see if we see more of them i'm i'm kind of guessing at some point we will but um obviously no they're not getting a book of their own mm. um so it's a um I don't know if any of like the single paranormals that we've crossed like grabbed people as much though. That's a good question. Hmm. I think the books? exploding pimple man would still be make a great comic, but <laughs> you may be alone on that one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah, like with like Thomas got drafted into Psy Force and oh. there, so it was like it's not like wow, this guy they're fighting is so cool. Let's give him his own comic. They incorporate him into the comic. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. if. Um, so that would be a good question. Like if you could take, like, so except for all of the main characters of like the four surviving books, right? If you could take one paranormal that wasn't like a canceled one and give them their own title, like who would be the best one? That's a tough one. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe all roads do lead back to exploding pimple man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you can, uh, you can also imagine the, um, the DP seven were one of four, maybe groups about the same size before people started getting their own groups at the clinic. Yeah. And so like the group that they fought in the, um, the dream that we've seen like, uh, Pam here and Kurt, stalagmite and the two racists, racist yeah. killers. I think it's interesting that they don't sort of get as much of a like, hey, these guys are great. Let's do more with them. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. That would be a bit of a warning sign. Well, they weren't, you know, like flaming racists at first. At I mean, first, yeah, they seemed like they were just kind of like troublemaker jerks. And then like things really escalated. But Yeah, I don't know. The DD teens, maybe. Uh, that would really... Uh, be be like um quickly get out of control like when scuzz was on his own he's like picking fights with motorcycle gangs within right. like three pages and so, I don't know. things just keep getting worse and worse <laughs> <laughs> basically oh but yeah yes people had i mean they Perhaps we're just, you know, had that uh, advantage of being on the stage just long enough to make you want more. So, yeah, or it, it certainly did. I, I don't get it personally, but, um, but yeah, there's an interesting in the, in the first letter, uh, in the response, it says, um, will the ES people come out of hiding? They haven't yet, but certain events on the horizon of the new universe may force them to. It's a little mm. bit of foreshadowing there. Mm. I think I know what that event is, but I don't. I won't be spoily. Yeah, I've got my own suspicions of what they're referring to there, which is uh, <clears throat> it's not too far away. I'm thinking. Um, you also notice that a couple of these letters are from the same 
people with the same name at the same address and they just uh, assume that they're brothers or something. Oh, yeah. Chris Garcia. Garcia, Garcia. Chris Garcia. Um, yeah, the one of the the first letter like uh, asked about the are we going to ever learn exactly what the void event was? Well, yes, you're going to learn what the void event is in Starbrand number 12 on sale now. Well, you won't really learn anything useful out of it, though. No. But, okay. Something, something, Dutch count. Okay. Yeah, there's so, a letter that always drives me crazy when they use the the code names so much. You know, it's like Mastodon, we're kind of used to. Antibody seems like a weird thing to call Randy because the antibodies are the things that come out of him. Right, mm. Scuzz works. Twilight, nobody says that in the comic book. Blur, we keep getting in the solicitation, so it seems a little familiar. But then Viva, it's like no, think, nobody, nobody's uh, using they, that one, man. Yeah, I don't know if they've started using glitter, which is what I, I, I think was a better suggestion or something. I'm not sure if they've started using that. Though. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, Shannon Davis of East Millinocket, Maine. He's like, Mastodon, I like his crush on Viva, Stephanie, and him calling himself an ape. His various problems make him the Peter Parker of the new universe. It's like, what? <laughs> the Peter Parker of the new? I don't think so. Yeah, Scuzz, I like the Scorcher story, but he acts more like a 20-year-old than a 15-year-old. Does he really? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that either. He seems definitely bad decision-making teenager, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I'm gonna call it a day on the mail. There's a couple of ads in here. It's gonna. I think you'd pointed out before the one on across from page five with its uh, sort of list of of comic prices. Yeah, the pit logo in the middle. So the the pit is and new universe back issues are all available also for order. Pit first printing limit two. Mm. Oh, okay. See the entire city of Pittsburgh nuked by Starbrand, and then the new universe becomes radically different, built upon built around an anti utopian future, and each uh, book in the new universe. Uh, current and uh, canceled are all 99 cents yeah these old things have like books that were popular at the time that you haven't even you know heard of let alone thought of some of them i think like the indie ones are are like you know come up much less uh, like the elementals that was like from comico i think which very you know obscure uh company now even yeah i guess if i'm reading through it's like i don't know eagle elementals i've heard of elf quest i don't know elf warrior um but like concrete that was an independent maybe yeah course already and then japanese comics is just like a tiny box like four five titles half of them robotech so, yeah, what are yeah. they trying to tell us with that? Like, built around an anti-utopian future. <laughs> I do. I don't know. They didn't always have like inside dope, so maybe they were just uh, assuming this was kind of a 
you know, like we'd said, po- post-apocalyptic feel to it. So yeah. everything kind of have a... makes me annoyed that all of these comics that were like a dollar or seventy-five cents now, if you go to a shop, they're like three and four dollars as back issues. Outrageous! It is. Most of the new universe is still a dollar. Yeah, the universe news has also been like super disappointing, like because we got this whole page for universe news, but you just get to see the covers of basically the comics we've talked about, and then like some other stuff just totally covered up by like a newspaper mock-up of American Holocaust News World Pittsburgh. What happened? It's like it's like maybe I wanted to read the profile on Peter David or the question of the month yeah it's i i can only yeah i can't i can't believe that this is the peter david profile that they wouldn't bring it you know repeat it so it's visible at some point but maybe not maybe that we'll never get a good um whatever of him yeah you can see the question of the month is whose idea was it to destroy pittsburgh and each everyone says it's someone else's John Byrne says it's Mackey's. Mackey says it's Gruenwald's. Gruenwald says it's Burns. Hmm. I believe Gruenwald. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed like an honest man to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Overall, where do we think of this as an event? You know, a big crossover event. Well, I was pretty down on it until I read these crossover issues like it's maybe a little strange usually like the event is the exciting stuff happening and then the crossover issues are like oh well they're forced to write about it um though they did a better job i think so that's kind of i was sour on the pit but now i'm feeling a little better about it although i still don't like the direction per se i'm still kind of stuck in uh, world outside my window mode i think a little bit yeah i mean yeah so i do like that the you know it's not um everyone jump on this to the same degree and uh whatever the justice is right there so he's very involved dp7 significant distance away they hear about it a day or two later get involved slowly right cyforce completely on the other side of the country doesn't hasn't heard anything for all we know i don't know probably not going to get involved get like a crossover tie-in at all yeah that makes sense i mean it's not like um you know it, it's yeah so that works i think you're you're definitely right the tie-ins make it worthwhile i'm not sure it um like we said before a a smaller scale disaster or something would have had a similar uh opportunities for storytelling and sort of change of direction yeah because i think the thinking about it now one of the things that's useful is it's kind of bringing characters together right so now we've got dp7 justice um and uh spit at jenny swenson you know and her max armor 
uh, all in the same location. Uh, realistically, Nightmask and even like the Kickers aren't that far away now. Everybody could kind of is kind of coalesced a little bit, which gives some nice opportunities for characters to meet and interact uh, where they haven't yet. But yeah, you could totally have done that in a with a smaller devastation and not ruined the star brand character and not you know made such a huge shift in the comic right or i'm sorry in the universe yeah there's a couple of aspects to that (laughs) that still don't make sense honestly the um trashing star brand himself like i you can you're used to in comic books like a villain destroying something or giving the characters a uh, opportunity to fight to to you know maintain something but to just like whoops someone whoopsie what the hell is that I yeah mean, i mean you don't even know how to feel about it it's so like random and it ends up feeling like both a bonehead maneuver by a character assassination victim but also kind of like a natural disaster that you can't like no one could stop or do anything about so yeah eh. it could have easily been another paranormal that we were had been introduced to you know i mean the old man was supposedly had the power i mean yeah yeah i'm also not particularly excited about Oh, the old man's back again. I'm like, okay. See, we had a pretty nice, like, climactic battle with him. Like, even after all the kind of like mystery of like, oh, he's dead, he's not dead, and and they they did a nice job, or Byrne did a nice job of kind of like writing him back in, but it's mm-hmm. still like not the best choice, I don't think. Is it, you know, I mean, it's... we never got to move on from that. It's like, hey, he showed yeah. up again, and, uh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there that it, I don't know. I'll say it's a, like a problem throughout the new universe is feeling like they had a burst of creativity at the white event, the beginning, and then it was more like trying to wrestle these ideas into viable, you know, ways of of a continuing book, but they never really think of like, oh, here's a new new idea we can throw in here, right? And there's very limited, like, yeah, villains. Um, Okay, here's a guy. Here's a villain they've been fighting. Let's bring him back some more. Okay, come on. That's a good. Yeah, I can. I don't know. I'll save some of this for for recap issue episodes, but I think um, the very idea of the pit is uh, difficult for me from like my location reasons yeah. and. <laughs> my like overall yeah view of the new universe like if you felt like they had tried every idea of uh, a low powered world outside your window realistic approach um then maybe you'd say okay well let's go kick things up a notch but yeah really felt like they hadn't explored that idea enough right. or if they're going to be like, well, paranormals are now going public, that could have also been explored more. Um, I don't know. And like I said before, there's something about the whole the 
physics of the pit like they were trying to say something or set up something that i i don't remember ever getting paid off so you're mm. left with this kind of a puzzle that i doubt it will have an answer you know um so all those kind of uh issue <laughs> I like, do like Darlene Dahl's maybe pregnancy from uh, here's Zing. You know, sometimes you're just never going to find out what's going on. You will not. Um, but yeah, this uh, this week's been a good, you know, sort of, um, you know, I like where these are heading and uh, they're doing it well. So overall, I'm back on in a good, good mood, I'd say from. <laughs> Yeah, two good comics in a maybe strange direction, but at least we got two good comics. Take it where we can find it. That's all I can tell you. Mm. Call it for today? I reckon so. I reckon. (laughs) All right, well, that's it for this week, folks. Next week, we'll go seven or eight hours. Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, Next, we're going to do a recap. So uh, it's been a while. We've covered a lot of ground. Uh, so we got another recap as season three comes to an end. We're going to cover all the changes that have taken place. So many changes. And after that, we go back to covering the new universe's next title, one at a time. Again, remember, with Cyforce 19, our schedule is, is going to only one book an episode. And the books change to direct market, increase cover price. We get backstories. It's going to take a little more time. So recap episode next. That's right. Yeah, the books, I think, will schedule themselves so that they're spaced out over the month more than they are uh, right now. But we're going to just go ahead and kind of progress to that point a little early so that uh, we don't get bogged down with these long episodes that try to bite too much off. So when we come back, we will give you a little hint. Uh, we'll be tackling at Cyforce number 19. Things look bad when the malevolent Medusa web traps half the Cyforce team in a San Diego shopping mall. But when the team decides to fight back, all of San Diego had better watch out. The Masada Defense is written by Fabian Nicieza and illustrated by Ron Lim. Direct sales only. Dollar twenty-five. Oof, oh, man. <laughs> you know it's what like isn't a dollar percent what isn't a dollar 25 visiting www.kickersinc.com <laughs> also emails are free new universe podcast at gmail.com as always this has been the voice of the new universe and we'll see you back at the spinner rack don't throw away the duck it's your universe idiot nuke me with the new Oh, and, and that's this Logan letter page, the pits. they actually quote, until the next white event, mm. which I guess this was, though. So okay. maybe he's out. We're done. We're done.